So we're sound checking now. This is we the, are sound checking. We certainly are. This is the quirky bit. I tell you what, I know you like fairly lame puns. When we always <laughs> done jokes, the lame. I puns do enjoy a fairly what, lame pun. You do. So what I did was I went onto the internet and looked at uh, Tim Vines. Are you familiar with Tim Vine? Uh, well, he no, does not a really. lot of one-liners. He says I rang up a British Telecom and said I want to report a nuisance caller, and he said not you again. Uh, another one of his. I've decided. Decided to sell my Hoover. It was just collecting dust. No. No. Let me try you with this then. There was a bit of. I a, don't enjoy this very no. much at all. I'm so lazy. I've got a smoke alarm with a snooze button. Any good to you? No. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But it's testing the levels. The good thing is the levels are fine. So I think we're good to go. Let me talk to you first of all about Cape Town. Now, this is in was, South Africa. In South Africa, the most prosperous place in South Africa. Well, it's one of those places of South Africa where it's you're either really, really rich or really, really poor. Absolutely. In fact, the uh, the drive from the airport, Cape Town, the drive from the airport is full of shanty towns all, all oh, really? on the side of the road. However, Cape Town is a hugely prosperous place. Very interesting at the moment. I was uh, reading this piece in the Financial Times, uh, which I've not seen in any other newspaper. You read the Financial Times? Uh, only at uh, work because we we get it uh, free. It just comes. Yeah, I was going to say you're not. I don't actually go out and buy the Financial Times. <laughs> it's not really your thing. No, it's not my thing. But there was this very interesting thing about Cape Town. Oh, it's because it's become quite the tourist hotspot recently. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those places like Vietnam or Cambodia that has suddenly. Yeah, well, it's been been quite popular with tourists for a long time and popular with millionaires for a long, long time. Uh, This guy goes to uh, Cape Town and he sees a shower containing an egg timer, which apparently is uh, quite a common sight in Mm. Cape Town. He he says, uh, the two-minute wash has been standard here since the recent three-year drought. In the cities, so basically the egg timer is so you can't have a shower for longer than two minutes, Mm -hmm. which is quite short. I have a very short shower, three three minutes or so, but not two minutes is very short. I'm I'm trying to cut down on my shower time because I'm terrible for staying in the shower too long. You shouldn't. But yeah, five minutes, try to do. But two minutes is quick. In the city's public bathrooms, a dribble comes out of the tap. Posters everywhere warn against wasting water. This Mm. is what adapting to climate change looks like. This is the reality of it. Uh, Last year, Cape Town nearly became the first big city on Earth to run dry. Rationing, which initially felt like wartime austerity, has become normal. Uh, And then he says, we have collectively, this is us, everybody, we have collectively decided not to stop climate change. Carbon dioxide emissions hit a record in 2018. Mm-hmm. So the future will be about mitigating its effects. So he's saying, basically, forget all the stuff about plastic bags, forget all that. What we've decided to do as a, a human race is not mitigate climate change. Yeah. So what we're going to have to decide do... Decide how to live with it. Decide how to live with it, he says. Cape Town's glimpse of the future offers lessons for uh, everyone. He says climate change is a class issue for people who live in shanty towns outside Cape Town without running water. It's always day zero. Yet a crisis was proclaimed only when rich Cape Tonians and companies were affected too. Yeah. And then he talks about the carbon-reliant economy, so wasteful that there are all sorts of things that we can do. Uh, Richer Cape Tonians have discovered that cars don't need weekly washing, that grey water from showers or dishwashers is fine for uh, for flushing toilets. 
Cape Town is possibly Africa's richest municipality. Poorer towns with bigger problems get less attention. In Hanke and Patenzi, I don't know these places, in the Eastern Cape last year, water, water was available only for a few hours a day. And Wednesday and Saturday were designated official washing days. Basically, That's like it's, water. Yeah, it's, it's a glimpse of the future. You do talk a lot about like what can you do and like what is realistic and what is feasible. So we were, I was on French Exchange as you know, yes, um, for a week. And so mm. you're on the bus, we, we were on the bus like 14 hours or something. So obviously you get chatting about pretty much everything and we were chatting about the environment. Now, yeah, it's about how are the ways that we can live with what we've done to the world because there's no way, we're past the point of being able to improve the climate really. Like it will only get really worse even if we were to change substantially. I think it was by 2030, there'll be more plastic in the ocean than fish. <laughs> I think it's true that the, the Cape Town, what they're having to do now, will eventually become what everyone everywhere has to do to be able to survive. But I think it's, it's an assurity that that will not be what everyone has to do. There will still be people who use water to do their lawns, like sprinklers all the time. Like, I think sprinklers are a really good example of something that just doesn't... We just don't need to use water to, to water front gardens or whatever. There's no possible need for that, but people still do it. You had some funny stuff to tell me about cinemas. Oh, we, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant now. Oh, is this uh, better for the sound check? Yeah, yeah, right, it's well, not like... Because we'll, it's not like... We'll do the sound stories. check again. Right, we'll do the sound check again. OK, so we'll sound check now, Ruth. So now we're sound checking. This is the... Uh, this <laughs> this is, is so stupid. This is the quirky bit. This is... Right, I think we've got to say that we've already sound checked mm. with some crap jerks then we've recorded one of the bits mm. and now we're going back to sound checking we certainly are um i wasn't happy which with kind the of first... defeats the point of sound checking well i wasn't happy with the first lot of sound checking so we'll sound check again we were talking about the cinema mm. and i was saying oh, i've got a funny story about the cinema i can't even remember what oh i can't you said you remember how it came up. stories about the had, cinema. Well, yeah, one is one is a story, the other is not as much of a story. Right, well... So we went to this... It's not that funny. We went to the cinema with Anna and David. They're my older siblings. I have another one, anyway. Um, <laughs> and there was, like, a little, like, line at the very top of the screen that was on there, and it was the adverts, and we were watching the adverts, and um, my brother was like, I can't watch it with that. He's very um, pernickety, I would say. Pernickety is the word. Um, and so he was like, I can't watch it with that on. And we were all like, yeah, yeah, go and ask them. It's probably just a... It kind of looked like it might be um, a flick on the projector or whatever. Mm. But they don't even use projectors at cinemas anymore, no, do they? So I don't know what we were thinking. Um, thought it was that or whatever. So he went out to ask the guy. And so he asked them about it. And what did he ask? Just like one of the people at the front of the cinema, like a... What, someone serving Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, the guy who checks your tickets just before you go into the bit with the screens. And he just went, oh, yeah, no, that's always on the adverts. It's like a copyright thing. And when the film starts, it won't be on there anymore. But could you just imagine, like, and David was saying, he just looked at me like I was a complete freak. <laughs> that, yeah. And when the film started... It yeah, it went fine. away, yeah, yeah. Can you just imagine asking some, some like, 16-year-old boy at Cineworld if they could move the flick on the projector when it's not even a projector? <laughs> And uh, what's your other story about oh, Mamma Mia 2? No, my other story was about fame. 
the film fair. Yeah. Not the the new one though, the remake. Oh, I don't know. They've done a remake. Yeah, the remake of Fame, and we went to see that at the cinema, and it was so nice in the screen that we asked afterwards if we could get refunds, and then we got free tickets. Oh right, is that so? That's not a funny story. No, it's not a funny story really at all. And why was it so noisy? Were people singing along with them? No, no, they weren't even singing along. They were just speaking loads. And then people, some, someone went outside to ask if they could get them to go out. And then they, like, everyone started clapping right, like in the middle of the film or something. And then they were throwing popcorn up in the air and stuff. Lovely. See, I only ever go to art house cinemas these days. I only ever get to art house cinemas these days. Yes, so... Sorry, you were setting yourself up for that, though. I know, but you don't get those sort of problems there. Yeah, you can't say a sentence like, I only ever go to art house cinemas and not expect to be ridiculed. Are we ready to start now, having checked the sound? Yeah, yeah, let's let's start, (laughs) in inverted commas. There's been a, a fair bit of stuff in the papers about this porn ban. It's a new law yeah, that's this about was, to co- come in. This is one of those things where it's crossed into birth of our new mm. spheres. It is. Well, I, I read a piece in the Sunday Times by the guy who used to edit the, the magazine Loaded, which was a magazine for lads and was a bit sort of up front. There were lots of semi-naked women in it. Like um, Playboy. No, it was for a younger audience than Playboy. Playboy was more sort of for middle-aged men. Uh, Loaded was a mag that was... Loaded, very... what an excellent name. Mm. It was a, a mag that was uh, very popular in the 90s. And uh, it was... It gross. Was... It... No, it wasn't gross. It was, it was a lad's mag. It Sounds was... gross. No, it wasn't. It was quite funny. It was quite a funny magazine. But it had a lot of sort of uh, scantily clad women yeah. pictures in it and all that sort of... It was during the, the lad culture, as it was called then. <laughs> and this guy, Martin Daubney, who uh, used to edit it at one stage, mm. has written this thing saying it's not going to work. So I've done a little bit of research and I've watched a video that someone had made. I wanted to know more about this palm band thing because it was all over Twitter because obviously it's a very like Twitter issue, do you know mm, what I mean? Because it it's that audience. It's a law that's been brought in so that 18-year-olds... So it's so young to, people, yeah, you yeah. have to be 18 to be able to watch porn. And you have to put a, a driving licence or yeah, something. Yeah, so if you've ever used Airbnb, to make it more safe, you can do a thing where you like scan your ID and then it goes on there to, so they know that you are who you're saying you are. Right. And I think that it's, the same it's, sort of thing, it's a it? similar sort of thing, but there's also talk of being able to buy like a porn pass from news agents, which yeah. is just just like insane because obviously no one would ever do that but there's like loads of ways to get around it so you can use them first of all it seems dangerous to put in your details if you're watching porn because then if you were say like a government like a politician or something you wouldn't really want you know that's for your public profile you wouldn't really want to be putting your details into a porn website because once someone's got that they can see whatever you're doing and whatever Mm, which seems really i mean first of all Part of the reason is because people are accessing so much child pornography online. And if you have to put in your details, that's obviously yeah. a, clearly a deterrent for people. But I think there's also a thing of, like... I was just thinking if you were a politician who's gay but not out, which I think that there will be, or even, like, a, maybe a football player, because there's no professional football players who are gay, which I just no. can't believe is true. You know, you can really use that against someone and use it for, to, mm. for blackmail and stuff like that. And also, I think it's just the more details you've got of yourself online, the more dangerous mm. your life becomes. 
and and people were to get around it anyway. This guy using a VPN. VPN, yes, that's absolutely right. So basically, which is a virtual something network. Yes, it is a virtual something network. So it doesn't. It'll look like you're accessing it from America or any other country. You could be in Belgium or whatever. That's right. Yeah, It, it says here it may make it harder for younger children to stumble across pornography, but it will do nothing to stop uh, determined uh, teenagers. Anyway, the porn ban was brought in after a study done by the NSPCC, Mm. um, which reported... It was one of those ones that is great for tabloid media because it was like 90% of children (laughs) access porn. Like, it's one of those... Without knowing what the whole study was about, it's very easy to just be like, oh my gosh, the children. But the children are fine. And also in the NSPCC study, like if you'd actually read it or actually understood it, Mm. one of the things it was saying was that it is really healthy for children to be curious and they're usually not even just stumbling upon it. Like children are actively searching it out because children are curious and stuff and so what we shouldn't be doing is saying that all porn is bad and doing that like there should be more restrictions on it and there should be more moves away from this really abusive porn industry that exists but it should be done by funding like um, sex education in schools yeah well i'll I'll tell you exactly what that's almost exactly what martin daubney said you know instead of this uh, porn block if you like uh, we need to talk to british teenagers in a non-judgmental intelligent way Mm -hmm. to help them consume porn critically and responsibly like we do with alcohol Uh, another thing from which we've unsuccessfully uh, tried to ban uh, under 18s he says in holland Teachers talk about sex in an age-appropriate way uh, from the age of four or five, meaning children have had frank discussions about the realities of sex before they encounter it in the unrealistic and harmful form of internet porn. Another similar subject is uh, strip clubs and how the feminists... See, there's two ways of looking at strip clubs. Mm. I'm confused, and I'm sure you as a sort of proto-feminist would Proto. be... Proto! <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, this is sort of the, at the younger end of the feminist... Uh, <laughs> That's fair, ...feminist yeah. conversation, uh, would be confused about too. So, go mm. on, what's, what's your attitude to things right. like Spearmint Rhino, you know, which is a lap dancing yeah. club? Sir, Sarah Pasker said a thing where she was like, isn't it just a signal that the patriarchy is won, that when women become liberated, men are like, okay, go on then, take your clothes off and dance for us now because you're so liberated. Or like, you know, pole dancing is a form of exercise. And it feels very, like, weird. But I don't know, I think it's one of those things where it's like every woman can just do whatever she wants and there's no one way to be yeah, so you, you a wouldn't, woman. So I'm not against strip clubs or anything because I think it becomes... What happens is, so if you've read The Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> I talk about The Handmaid's Tale all the time, but it's like, I do study it, so I do have to think about it a lot. Yeah, you um, see, we're, we're, I don't know, about ten minutes into this uh, podcast, <laughs> and you've already mentioned The Handmaid's Tale. I haven't mentioned The Beatles yet. There it is. Apart from there. <laughs> um, she, so The Handmaid's Tale was... Um, fa- it faced a lot of backlash because of uh, Margaret Atwood's criticism of sort of radical feminism. But I think what she was saying is that anything on any extreme is always going to be dangerous. And what it turns into is, I think this is why feminism gets a bad rap of being like man-hating because it becomes too radical and then it ends up Puritan, which is the other end of the scale. But then they're actually, it's, I I like to think of it as more as kind of a circle and you're, in the middle of the circle and then as soon as you start going to either the far left or the far right 
you end up actually being at the same thing which is just of restricting people's freedoms so i think that i have to be pro strip clubs <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is, this is this is the split in feminism basically what's brought it up again is spearmint rhino in sheffield they did uh, an undercover report on spearmint rhino in sheffield and they found that it wasn't like lap dancing and pole dancing is normally pictured how you normally see it what they said was that the women were naked for a start and they were touching men in ways that we can't mention on a family podcast like this so that's what they said it was basically the puritan wing of feminism i think that was saying this and saying it, it ought to be closed down it depends what the if the women are there of their own free choice and if the women are truly choosing to be there and they're doing it because that's what they want to do to make money like that's fine there's a series of videos by a woman called amanda knox i don't know whether you've heard of her I think so. So, yeah, I feel like you'll know her name, but not what? actually remember Foxy, it. Noxy? No, no. What? Amanda Knox, she, so she was a girl who was in prison for four years in Italian prison after she was accused of killing um, a British yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, yeah. foreign that, exchange. That was yeah, the f- she was known Foxy, Foxy Yeah, yeah, because yes. she was like, but you shouldn't call her Foxy. No, Knox I know you shouldn't. Right. But, uh, that's what, that's, yeah, her so, tab- that's her tabloid. That's her tabloid. So she was treated really shamed, really badly in the media and obviously she didn't kill this woman but she was in prison for four years which is terrifying um it was actually some guy but she wasn't provided with an interpreter and unfairly so treated in the investigation yeah it was a botched investigation then she was unfairly treated in the media blah 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 but she's done um a series of videos called the scarlet letter which is about women facing shame in various different places and there was one about um a girl who was a cheerleader for the nfl obviously you've seen the outfits that they wear in these cheerleading nfls which are just super super skimpy and stuff and there was she came out about a lot of stuff that was really sexist in it that they had to go for annual weigh-ins and told stories about these girls who would sweat it out before weigh-ins so they would sit in their cars with the heat turned really high up and they were like encouraged to do that to stay under this certain weight and then she posted a picture in it like a bodysuit that was like lacy or whatever and um was asked to resign and then was eventually fired from the Saint Sessions or something ridiculous was the right. name. The new, it was a New Orleans group and she was from Mississippi. And then she got labelled as kind of like a feminist and she was not really that at all. And then a lot of other feminists came out and was like, well, if she's going to wear that outfit, she's being treated as she should be. And like, if you're being a cheerleader, then it's, you know, against feminism. But I think that like, you don't have to dress in a sack and be completely anti, like... Anti-glamour? Anti-glamour, yeah, I think, to be a feminist. And it lends, you know, it's another version of the argument about walk-on girls. Yes. And and you're you're in favour of walk-on girls or you're not against walk-on girls? I'm not against you, it. You don't like, think their jobs should be taken away from them? No, well, the that, but that's girls. also a class thing in it. And so was this cheerleader thing because it was this part of Mississippi where one of the ways that girls actually can sort of raise themselves up was dancing and becoming NFL guys which is the same as men becoming football players Mm. which is one of the ways that people in the south are really or people in poorer neighborhoods Mm. yeah yeah, help themselves and that's the same with walk-on girls like it becomes feminism becomes a class issue then so yeah you're saying that middle class privileged white girls yeah. can go around being feminists because it doesn't affect them whereas yeah. poor black girls in Mississippi well she wasn't not. even black she was white yeah. but like like it doesn't restrict 
me in any way to be anti all of those things because yeah. I'm never in a position where I, I have to because I'm supported in education and all that kind of stuff and I would never yeah, be... I'll take your point. You know what I mean? I'll like, take your point. And the, and the same thing does apply to Spearmint Rhino. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But then, then you, you just get into a question of how far are these girls choosing to do it because it's their only option or choosing to do it because mm. they want to do it? Yes, I know. I suspect in a lot of cases nobody would particularly choose to do that sort of mm. work um, but then again nobody would maybe choose to do be, it like yeah, to a be boring office job like precisely. which is better yeah Let's take a short break and then have some music now i've listened to your tune we'll start mm-hmm. we'll start with yours Ooh. this week I listened to it all the way through, and it was a real shame to only uh, play 20 seconds, because I, I thought it was it was a great track. So we'll play it, we'll play it. Uh, and then I'll explain. And then you okay. can explain it. It's called Blue Lights. Don't you run when you hear the sirens coming. When you hear the sirens coming, you better not run, because the sirens not coming for you. What have you done? You went to school that day. was a bit late, but it was a Monday. Blue lights, obviously, of a police vehicle. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't realise the first time I listened to it. I had to listen to it like twice, and then I was like, ah, blue lights, I understand now. Um, so it's by um, a girl called Georgia Smith. Um, and the. Is it pronounced Georgia? Yeah, Georgia. Ah, Why, it... how are you pronouncing it? Georgia. It's J O N J A. No, J O R J A. Oh, it's an R, is it? It's an R. Georgia. Yeah. Right. Georgia Smith. Um, this is her most famous, most popular song or whatever. And it's probably not my favourite anymore because I like some of the other ones. But I thought this one's got a really good like message as well because it's kind of about like gun crime and it knife is, yeah. crime in like mm. London, mm. which is quite apt. It is. Right well, because I, I was talking to you about school exclusions. We were talking, we were talking, talking in the car, car yeah. yeah. And being a, a big factor in knife crime. And that's really about, you know, how it starts. You know, you're yeah. a little bit disruptive in school and then you're excluded from school uh, and then you're on the street and the devil makes work for idle hands and all that stuff. And that's what the song's about, really, yeah. in many ways. But she's got such a pretty voice. Sounds a bit like uh, Lily Allen. Um, no, she doesn't sound like Lily Allen no, at all. No, the, I don't think so. No, a bit like Amy Winehouse to an extent I think she's quite original though like I think she's not I think it's maybe the London thing the London sort of accent but she doesn't sound like Lily Allen's style at all no not the style but the the, the voice sounds similar really she's got the same intonation I think but I uh, I, I might be wrong I don't completely agree Anyway, it's 20 seconds of uh, John Jess, uh, Georgia. <laughs> John Georgia. I don't know why, I'm sure it had an A not No, it. it's an no. R. Oh, okay. I um, think in her like logo thing, it's like quite a deep R, maybe. Uh, but it's definitely, definitely Georgia Smith. Georgia Smith and uh, Blue Lights. Uh, now, unlike you, unlike you, uh, I sometimes take guidance from the emailers. You know, emailers are always suggesting tunes, and you usually ignore them. Uh, but I, I sometimes t- I just often it's though just because I forget to listen to them, yeah. not because I'm like listening to them and then deciding no. that I don't like You're it. You're just being a bit slack, really. Uh, well, I've got this uh, email from James Blacklock. And he says, hi, Martin. Uh, and he's, I assume he must have been a teacher at some stage or a youth worker. So he said he was talking to a group of teenagers. And he says, I was greatly... He has a lot of kids. Mm, he might have a load of teenagers of his own, but it did sound like it was in a, in a school um, context. He said, I was greatly surprised to learn that none of them had ever heard Big Yellow Taxi by jo- Joni Mitchell. 
I instructed them, instructed them, that's why I thought it must be uh, kids in a school, uh, to check out Joni's early album Clouds, uh, and in particular Joni's version of Both Sides. Now, uh, I also told them that every single girlfriend I'd had during my 20s had a copy of uh, Joni's later album Blue amongst their often fairly meagre collection. I suspect Ruthie may already be familiar with Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I am quite familiar with Joni Mitchell, only because it gets so many references in films. So then I was like, Joni Mitchell, who's she? Yeah, and a lot of the people that you admire, writers and things, reference Joni Mitchell. I can't remember who it is that references Joni Mitchell a lot. I can't remember. Well, loads of people do. He says, anyway, so instead, so he's not suggesting I play Joni Mitchell because he thinks she's going to know Joni Mitchell. What a roller coaster. What a roller coaster indeed. So instead, I suggest Light Flight by Pentangle, who were a sort of British folk, jazz, sort of hippie-ish, early, early 70s mm-hmm. uh, band. Uh, he, so I suggest Light Flight by Pentangle as a possibility. Um, and this was featured on an album called Basket of Light. It was also the theme from a TV show, uh, Take Three Girls, the TV show, set in swinging London. Swing in London. Yes. Take Three Girls, a television drama series broadcast by the BBC between 1969 and 1971, which follows three young women sharing a flat in Swing in London. I have no recollection of Take Three Girls at all. And I spoke to your mother and she doesn't either. Right. So, yeah. Should we play your song then? So let's play. <laughs> have we gone on about it too much? Yeah, just slightly. Uh, okay, here's the song. <laughs> Let's get away, you say, find a better place Miles and miles away from the city's race Look around for someone lying in the sunshine Marking time, hear the sighs, close your eyes It's Joni Mitchell it's not Joni Mitchell, but it does sound a bit like it. does sound quite like Joni Mitchell. Yeah, um, but that was very popular, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, Light Flight by Pentangle. Uh, John Renborn. Of, yeah, John Renborn was a guitarist quite well known in the folk world. And so we've come with a couple of winners. I like your mm-hmm. tune, you like my tune. If you it? do have um, any oh, suggestions yes. of songs and you do want to email yes, them in want to for me to ignore them, <laughs> no, it's, uh, the email is martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. So let's. Um... Oh, and um, you can find the full versions of both of those songs. Oh. So, Blue Lights by George Smith and Something by Pentang. Light Flight. Light Flight by Pentang on um, the Spotify playlist. Pentangle. Pentangle. You know, it's sort I of think like it Pentang like Wu Tang. <laughs> no, it's more like, you know, folky, hippie ish pentangle symbols. Oh, pe- like, kind of like um, what they call those witches. Yeah, like um, those witches, white witches. No, no, no. Um, oh, you know what I'm talking about, I know don't exactly you? Exactly what you're talking about. Wiccan, Wiccan, Wiccan. Yeah, like kind of like that. You, you can find them on Spotify. You can see through the Ruthie, me, and my dad, and that'll get you to the playlist, or just Martin and Ruth, and that'll get you to our prof- profile, and then you can get the yeah. playlist from that. So you've forgotten all this because we've been away for a week, and uh, so, so this out is the first practice. one out of practice. <laughs> Tell us about uh, France. What are you, what are you writing to France? Like it. Big big France fan. But has the French exchange scheme improved your French? Like, it has in terms of I would feel more confident going to uh, to live in France for a month or whatever. 
but it's not really helped with passing an exam in French but that's because language exams are so stupid because how do you measure how much someone knows a language so I've got my French speaking exam this week my like proper one uh, on Friday and I've got to do about you get a stimulus card on a part of French culture and then you have to talk about it for like six minutes I don't remember Um, you have to talk about it and like it doesn't really help with stuff like that or I've got to do a project and I've done mine about Maurice Chevalier. Maurice yeah. Chevalier, uh, Nazi or not? I go not generally. I think that um, when you start doing research, you actually realise that a lot of it is just completely unfounded claims. That So someone put really him, there was exp- a... I mean, you always think of him as a great uh, collaborator with the not Nazi at all. occupation. Yeah. So, like... This is good, doing a bit of revision. <laughs> so there was a list that Charles de Gaulle and the people in the England, French, the yeah. Free French in England, uh, in London, like put together and it had his name on and it got sent over to France and they read out his name and once once they did that, the damage had kind of already been done and everyone believed that he was a collaborator and they sent a message to London to say, no, Maurice Chevalier is not a collaborator, like don't put him on the list, but then it had already been done, so you think he's a but collaborator. But he continued to work. So during... he continued to work. Yeah. He performed at the Casino de Paris, mm. um, which was financed by the Nazis, mm. but he was actually hiding a Jewish family, and his wife at the time, called Nita Reyer, was Jewish, and the Nazis and the Vichy government knew about that, so he was kind of in a position where if he didn't collaborate to an extent, right. they would kill his wife which like you obviously would perform like a a cabaret to do that and then another thing that is cited often that he performed at the camp the Alton Grabau camp and that was actually where he was injured in World War One and he was there for two years um, as a prisoner of war at the Alton Grabau camp so obviously he would want to perform there like I think that's fair and he only performed there in return for 10 soldiers being freed so I really think like mm. most of the evidence that people use to say he's a collaborator, it's not like the full story no. or anything. And then a lot of people say that he stayed in France, but like I don't think that necessarily staying in France makes you a collaborator. But if you really want to know the, the truth about the Fichy government and get a full, accurate picture, Casablanca, Humphrey Bogart, <laughs> and with Bergman, as we said in the last uh, podcast. Well, having dipped into the emails uh, for our music suggestion, uh, should we do the rest of them? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ed Smith. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ed Smith, does he mean the Middlesex and England cricketer? No, it's a different Ed Smith. Uh, That was exactly what I was thinking. Having just uh, binge listened to almost your whole back catalogue of fantastic podcasts... Got some free time on his hands. I felt (laughs) compelled to email you to point out my single favourite moment. As a born and bred Wakefield person, so this will be some of the next... Uh, living outside Wakefield now. I hugely enjoyed hearing Ruth talk about the Tom Rosenthal track, Go Solo, from the podcast on the 20th of September. It's almost like it was planned to choose a song with a title that does not have a single syllable that someone from Wakefield could pronounce. <laughs> I, I have just spent the whole afternoon saying out loud to myself, Go Solo. Go Solo. Yeah, and, no, it's true, you can't do worse, can you really? No, and laughing out loud or lolling as the kids might say keep up the great work says ed smith uh, a big fan of what's the song go solo oh. <laughs> I was like, big, big fan, fan of go solo. <laughs> hugh besson 
says, I'm prompted to write by Ruth's comment, Reparenthood, and by, I don't know what you said about parenthood, he says, anyway, and by the uh, hate mail recently received. Firstly, the hate mail. Uh, the reason I like the pod is the interaction between a father and a teenager, partly because I'm in the same boat, and partly because it's fascinating. If idiots don't get that, ignore them. But you already oh, were nice. ignoring them anyway. I was ignoring them after being wildly upset. <laughs> uh, well, this, this was the parenthood comment, because he says, secondly, Ruth, uh, you may think it's easy for a parent to stand aside and let their teen get on with life, but that is actually... I remember that. Yes, I remember. that is actually the hardest thing in the world. As Martin will no doubt tell you at length, we grew up in a different world. Uh, I've told you at length, no mobiles, no social media, nor about once a week I tell you about the fact of life before the internet and yeah. everything. Once a week, generous. <laughs> yeah, four or five cable channels. I was never particularly going uh, keen on going to my room as a teenager, as there was no heating up there. Because <laughs> uh, that's another thing I've told you about, no central heating. No TV and only a radio to listen to. So uh, you lot are very different to us, and annoyingly you don't come with an instruction manual, as people always say. The world is a much more dangerous place than it was in our day. Do you think? Um, well, I think, I, I think the difference that he's trying to point out is that in our day we've got a lot more if, if we well no not so much I think the difference is in my day if, when I was 17 I'd say to my parents oh I'm fed up I'm going upstairs to my room I'd go upstairs to my room what damage can I be doing in my room mm. basically I could be listening to the radio yeah the difference that I think Hugh is trying to point to is these days if you're teenagers and going to the room we have absolutely no idea what you could be doing in terms yeah. of on your mobile phone community, you have, like, who, everything you, could, who you could be talking to uh, what you could be watching um, you know etc etc mm-hmm. so I think it's a, that's an interesting difference isn't it between yeah. those days and, and now you could never truly know what your kid was getting up to then and you can't know now like no but you'd know that they, they weren't looking at anything on the internet because it didn't yeah, exist yeah. you yeah. know they weren't phoning anybody because they weren't you know we didn't have mobile phones mm, so true. I can see that uh, in fact he's not alone Hugh Besant in, in, in saying how difficult it is to bring up kids this no, I do think it's difficult. I wasn't being like no, no. But but you were saying the solution is, you know, just to. I think yeah. I think that sometimes like all those sometimes things about parenting, teenagers and stuff. I think the one big bit of advice is like they'll probably be okay. Like don't mm, stress. That's my attitude. Not Martin Freeman's uh, attitude though. Oh really? You know Martin Freeman? Yeah, I love Martin Freeman. Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, I call, my best friend is called Tilly, and I call her Tilbo Baggins. Oh, dear. Yeah. He says, and this is, he was doing an interview on uh, Desert Island Discs. He says, being a parent can make you feel angrier than anything else in the world. I had never felt so much rage in my life until I'd become a parent. He says, I try my best. I'm very demonstrably loving. There's a lot of telling each other we love each other, but there's a lot of shouting. He says, the difference between being a parent and not being a parent is about 47 light years. I don't quite know what he means by that. What? Adding, adding, there's no manual for it, again, uh, and you're not prepared for how viscerally, viscerally challenging it is. The actor had two children, Joe 13 and Grace 10, uh, with the actress Amanda Abington during a 16-year relationship before they split. So that could have made it uh, a wee bit more difficult, mm. the fact that they'd, uh, they'd split. Fatherhood has proved a rich source of comedy for Freeman, who's writing a new television comedy called Breeders and I found it shocking exploiting your children for commercial gain <laughs> it's outrageous how could he uh, I just... don't understand this thing about light years though no that's I don't confusing yeah he's an actor 
Um, thank you, Martin Bolton, as well, who says he uh, he loves the podcast. And uh, Neville Ward says, thank you both for your very enjoyable podcast. So this is sort of balancing the, um, the, the mountains mail. of hate mail we get, which I'm not <laughs> reading out. He says, uh, circadian rhythms. He said, I enjoyed the chat about that. It's a subject that interests me for a variety of reasons. And if you're interested in finding out more, I can really recommend this. Uh, basically, it's a BBC podcast. Well, it's not a podcast, it's a BBC programme, which I think you could probably get on BBC Sounds or those things. Melvin Bragg does a programme called In Our Time. So if you just look for that. But they discuss the evolution and role of circadian rhythms, the so-called body clock, influencing a daily cycle of physical, behavioural and mental changes, says Neville Ward. So I'm going to listen to that and I'll maybe uh, be able to enlighten you now. Or you can listen to it. You're busy with your French oral, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll have a listen to that and we can talk about circadian rhythms because last week we weren't entirely sure what they were. Uh, and if you do want to uh, email us, just to repeat that address again, it's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to talk a wee bit now about uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's going to be a new series. I'm so excited. April 20th, is it? People are so obsessed with Game of Thrones. It's excellent. One of them, Dad, before you say anything. <laughs> Well, the finale of Game of Thrones is the most closely guarded secret in television, mm. uh, with the creators going to extraordinary lengths to keep it under wraps. You know, people are dying to know what happens in the finale. I don't know why, though, because like, like it's so. They had there was an there was an episode last season or something that got leaked, and people like watched it like on terrible versions online. It's like just wait the 20 days or whatever because it's so much more satisfying to watch it if you have no idea what's going to happen well during the filming of this final series uh, numerous sets in northern ireland because they they filmed some of it over there um were targeted by drones trying to take any pictures that might have revealed the ending i hate that yeah well hbo the people who make it even considered hiring eagles and falcons to eagles falcons (laughs) to combat drones and i thought to myself i I'd rather watch that than watch the programme. Yeah. Uh, this battle between the drones and the eagles and the falcons. But anyway, the solution they came up with, they were so worried about these drones, they filmed the most confidential scenes close to Belfast Airport, which is a drone exclusion zone. So drones oh, are exclusion from airport clever. area. And that's where they filmed it. But people just want to know. No, I don't want to know. And the problem is, like, you can't avoid it. Like, if someone if someone leaks it all, like, it's really difficult to avoid it on Twitter. Like, I don't follow any of the Game of Thrones accounts or anything because I know that sometimes it comes out earlier in America and I don't want to accidentally ruin it for myself because I, like, love watching it and it's just so, such a shame if you ruin something like that. Yes, and we were arguing about... I hope it lives up to expectations. I have though. seen people tweeting and stuff saying that it is just an excuse for a bit of soft porn. Oh, it's such... <laughs> so, oh, it's such rubbish. Like, it's just such rubbish, you really... Yeah. So that's not that's not true then. No, it's not true at what's, all. What's the appeal of it? So people, so this is what I think. People think that they love the dragons and they love the sword fights and they love the fire and the ships and the wall and the spectacle of it. But actually, what they love is the character relationships that, and it's really really well written. So it's David Vice and something Dobrik. No, two guys and they're called. They've both got names beginning with D because they sometimes get called the double Ds. But they write it really brilliantly. So you have all these 
really lovely like character moments and stuff and i think that like it is a great story and it reflects so is it set much. in the future then no set well in the past so it's set in like a medieval-esque world but it's also kind of because it's kind of um fantasy it's kind of like it was so it's like fantasy but it's also kind of medieval but some people have a theory that's set in the very far future after the world's like changed ah, right. and restarted and whatever but i think it's it doesn't really matter but and it reflects so much of the things of our time like the struggle for power is like a it's just like a theme that is in everything like that like struggles for power mm. and and corruption and all that kind of stuff is just like universal and yeah. i must watch it will, you will really I, if, need if, to. If, when the new series comes out can i just pick it up from no there? absolutely not no, we'll have to, you have much, to watch it from the start how much time do i have to invest in that Except, well, quite a lot of time oh goodness me it's oh, wow. worth it though it's really great the last season there was a couple of disappointing episodes or whatever but some people gave it a bit too much of a hard time and I was like it's not as bad as that <laughs> but I am you're excited I hope that it just lives up to it. I hope people don't like people are just nitpicking with it like sometimes and it and looking for all the stuff that's wrong So, Ruth, do you have a meme of the week for us? Yeah, but it's not really a meme. It's like a Tumblr post that that's quite long, so it's, I don't think it would really be classed as a meme, but it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny, but it's interesting. Anyway, we think Greeks were very rational people and all, until we learn about the Bufonia, an Athenian ritual where a labouring ox had to be sacrificed, but at the same time, this was considered a terrible crime. So, when the priest killed it with an axe, he had to throw it aside and get the heck out of there running for his life then the rest of the people discovered the crime scene and blamed the axe the only one present the axe was immediately carried before the court of the pyritanium which charged the axe with having caused the death of the ox sometimes it was absolved others it was thrown into the sea you cannot tell me they didn't do all of this with a sense of humor and then it says athena goddess of wisdom watching her dumbass patron city do this (laughs) <laughs> and then it's a picture from, like, the office, which is quite funny. Yes, it's a picture of somebody looking uh, nonplussed, really. Nonplussed? Nonplussed. 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 There you go. Uh, so, Ruth, thank you. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with us on email, as we mentioned, Martin and Ruth. Do you think we've mentioned it enough? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think you can always, you can always handle another mention. Martin and Ruth podcast at gmail.com. And if during the week you spot uh, a meme that you think is particularly amusing, by all means suggest it to us because sometimes we find difficulty, don't we, uh, getting a meme of the week? We do. Yeah. So uh, by all means mention it to us and we'll, um, we'll obviously give you a mention on the podcast and we'll pass it on to the listening thousands. Uh, martinruthpodcast at gmail.com and uh, if you want to find the tunes... Um, you can go over to Spotify and search for Martin and Ruth or Ruthie, me and my dad. <laughs>